The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. I hope you're paying attention to the lyrics of all these songs that we've been singing. It is the gospel. That's why we're here. Not to give you tips on how to live and be nice people, but to recognize who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and living in light of that. We're uh, still in John chapter 16, and uh, we're going to be reading verses 4 through 11. So turning your Bibles to John 16, 4 through 11. And would you stand for the reading of God's word? Jesus said, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin... Because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is God's word. You may be seated. And let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus which speak to the ministry of the Spirit and his purpose to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Give us understanding and application, trusting the Spirit to use us as we engage with those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This isn't the ticket I bought, writes Vanitha Reisner. That's what I thought when my health took a detour and I found myself on a road I hadn't anticipated, a road I wasn't prepared for, a road I didn't want to travel. Laura's story understands how that feels. Everything radically changed after her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Watching him struggle to breathe and withstand significant memory loss, Laura begged God to heal her husband and restore their lives to the way they were. Life hadn't been perfect but it had been good. Laura told her sister her desire to return to the normal trial-free life that she had before, and her sister insightfully responded, You know, Laura, I think the detour you're on is actually the road. The detour you are on is actually the road. What a horrifying thought when my plans go awry. I always want to believe that I've taken a temporary detour. Maybe it's a long one, but I hope that the real road, the road where I can return to being happy and fulfilled is just ahead. Maybe it's only around the corner if I can simply hang on. 
these disciples probably wanted to stay on the road of having Jesus physically with them. And they were grieved at the thought of him leaving. But thankfully, God had a much better plan. And Jesus gives them some insight for what this road ahead is going to look like. Right now we read that sorrow has filled the hearts of the disciples. But in the years to come, when they look back, they'll see and praise God for the road that he's sovereignly chosen for them. And this is so true for us as well. It's understandable that the disciples would want to stay on this road, having the physical presence of Jesus with them. What about you? Do you ever envy their experience? Would you rather have the physical presence of Jesus, seeing him with your physical eyes and hearing him with your physical ears? Eventually, they would realize, and we need to realize, that the choice really is not between Christ present and Christ absent. No, the the real choice instead is between Christ present in the body and Christ present in the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus said it would be better for us that he physically leave and send the Holy Spirit, they and we need and we need to trust him. Jesus said that it's better, it's to our advantage that he go away and that the helper come. And this passage explains why. Why is this new road, this ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit so important that it makes his physical departure worthwhile? In verse 8, he tells us why. And then in verses 9 through 11, he explains each area of the Spirit's work of convicting the world. So this is really going to be our focus this morning. Jesus says in verse 8 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict He will convict the world concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, not too many people get excited or think positively about the word convict. When we think of the word convict, we tend to think of it in negative terms, like a prosecuting attorney seeking to convict or condemn criminals. And this might make some sense regarding sin, but it doesn't really fit with righteousness. One understanding of this is that the Holy Spirit is convicting or causing the world to see that it's wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And this is true. But instead of a negative view that only leads to condemnation, we can also think of convict more positively with the word convince. A negative view points to condemnation, while a positive view says that the conviction is meant to convince and lead to the truth. So I think it makes more sense to say 
the Holy Spirit convicts people in order to convince them of Christ's truth in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment so that many will repent, believe, and be saved. And our best biblical example of this is found in the very first sermon ever preached in the Christian church, preached by Peter at Pentecost. Not your, not your felt needs kind of sermon. Not your practical tips for a better life. Not a Joel Osteen style of positive positivity that uh, never wants to mention sin and guilt. This is not how Peter preached. Ironically, those like Osteen who just want to be positive are avoiding the very basis for the most positive news of all, a conviction over sin that convinces people to repent and look to Jesus and be saved. But in this first sermon, we see an example of the Spirit's convicting work. As Peter preached, you crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. You sinned. You did what was evil. You're all guilty. And then we see the Spirit work. But think about it. If Peter preached that same message a day earlier, before the Spirit's coming at Pentecost, what do you think would have happened? Likely, he would have been beaten and arrested, and there would have been no conviction. No conviction, because this is what the Holy Spirit's ministry is, to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, convincing people to repent and be saved. But because the Holy Spirit was present and at work, we read in that Acts 2 sermon, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. In other words, they were convicted. They were convinced. They knew they were guilty. The Holy Spirit convicted the world concerning sin. And positively speaking, it led many to ask Peter and the others, Brothers, what shall we do? This is why Jesus' presence through the Holy Spirit is better. Because of His spiritual presence through the Helper, through the Holy Spirit who ministers through us, we see even greater works than Jesus did while physically present. We see 3,000 people convicted, cut to the heart regarding their sin. And in a day, in one powerful, Holy Spirit-filled message, they were convinced and repented and put their trust in Jesus. When Jesus was physically present, he accomplished our salvation by dying for our sins. And now that he's in heaven, the Holy Spirit is sent to apply the work of Jesus to the individual soul through the gift of faith. John Calvin said, far more advantageous and far more desirable is that presence of Christ by which he communicates himself to us through the grace and power of his Spirit than if he were present before our eyes. Jesus not only encourages his disciples with the news of the Spirit's coming, but he also gave them 
the specifics of what and how he would convict the world. In verse 9, Jesus said that the Spirit will convict concerning sin. Because, Jesus says, because they do not believe in me. The first work of the Spirit in anyone's life is the conviction of sin, which ultimately is the greatest problem of all. All other problems that people struggle with ultimately stem from sin. Sin which began with Adam, who represents us all. Sin which all of Adam's offspring are born with. A sin nature, cursed and bent towards sin, all following his footsteps. Sin which separates us from our Maker, which is an affront to him a rebellion against him, an offensive crime that spits in his face. All of our problems, all of our struggles, all of our sufferings are rooted in sin. The pain of death and evil are because of sin. And it affects all of us. It's not just those those bad people out there. It's not some people. No, the problem is with all of mankind. All are guilty. All have missed the mark. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. Jesus wasn't born into the world to deal with economic problems. It wasn't for politics. It wasn't for education. He's not the great social justice warrior. He didn't come to help with psychological problems. He didn't come to make us positive thinkers. No, he came to save his people from their sins. Richard Phillips wrote that what man cares about are the very things that Jesus largely ignores. Money, power, Societal problems along with the lesser issues of sports and personal recreations. This is why so many people are indifferent to Christianity since it concerns a matter about which they are not concerned. So they need to be concerned. They need to see sin for what it is. And this is the first ministry of the Holy Spirit. His ministry to the world to convict, to convince people that sin is their greatest problem. So when we share our faith, when we evangelize and tell people the good news, we don't tell them some story about an easy street, a road of comfort and success. No, we must realize that it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work through us, and if we say nothing of sin... If there is no conviction regarding sin, no convincing people that this is their greatest problem, then might it be said that we're quenching the Holy Spirit? If his first work is to convince, to convict the world concerning sin, then we must realize that any sharing of the gospel must address the real and only problem. The good news is not about living your best life now. 
It's not about getting your life together. It's not about being a more responsible, moral person. It's not claiming anything related to earthly success or healing or learning to be a nicer person. There are lots of motivational, inspirational speakers and methods and religions that can probably help people with these things. But what does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? The vast majority of people believe that they are basically good and that God is generally pleased with them. Because, well, I'm not a mass murderer or anything. Uh, Most people expect that if there is some afterlife, heaven-like afterlife, that they'll experience this when they die because, well, I try to be good. This is the common thinking. Again, if you haven't listened to the podcast Wretched Radio or watch on YouTube, Wednesdays are great. It just teaches you how to present the gospel. And he always brings up these topics. The host, Todd Friel, he'll interview students on college campuses. Witness Wednesday is what he calls it. And, and listen, because he always gets to the point of sin. He always gets to the point of sin and God being a just judge and, and testing people's assumption that they're basically good, that God is generally pleased with them. Um, when we use the Ten Commandments like a quiz, which is what he tends to do and challenge them with, we realize that we're all guilty. If you've ever told a lie, you're a liar. If you've ever stolen one thing, you're a thief. If you've ever been mad at someone and hated them, then Jesus says you're a murderer at heart. The problem is sin. And justice requires a judgment. And courts don't grade on a curve. They're not concerned about being nice and helping someone across the street on your way to the court being tried for murder. According to God's law, we're all guilty. And the punishment for a crime against God is not a lower place in heaven. It's hell. But because God is so kind and merciful, he's made a way. He's made a way where where he can be both just and the justifier. Upholding justice because he is pure and holy. He is God. He is the best judge ever. And we hate judges that just sweep things under the carpet and let people go on technicalities. God doesn't do that. He is just and the justifier. He shows justice and mercy to whom he graciously chooses to forgive. He sent his son to stand in your place to take the penalty that you deserve. And if you acknowledge your sin and that Jesus was punished in your place, if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, then God's justice is satisfied at the cross. And his mercy is given to those who put their trust, their faith in Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the good news. 
And in order for people to see and embrace it, they must be convicted of sin. They must be convinced that their biggest problem is their guilt before a holy God. Salvation is meaningless to a person who doesn't realize they need saving. And that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world concerning sin speaks to the fact that they are blind to this reality. This is why we rely on the Holy Spirit when we share the gospel. It's a supernatural act. Again, if Peter gave the same sermon the day before Pentecost, before the Spirit's ministry began, none would be convicted, none would repent and have faith in Jesus. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit must come and convict the world concerning sin. And the explanation he gives is because they do not believe in me. The problem is sin, and the ultimate manifestation of sin is not believing in Jesus, to despise and reject his sacrifice, to be indifferent to all that God has done for us. And without the Holy Spirit left to themselves, people do not believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit must come and convict or convince people. And when people truly are convicted, they will ask, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So we cannot evangelize. We cannot share the gospel by simply being nice. The saying, share the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, is nonsense. The only way people will know the gospel is if they know they are guilty of sin and that God has provided a way in Jesus. The gospel requires words. It requires the truth of God's word, the supernatural convicting work of the Spirit who takes our words and convinces people that their only hope is in Jesus. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit has to do with righteousness. Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit will convict concerning righteousness, and then he gives the explanation, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Do you ever think, Well, I thought I understood what the Bible was saying, but then Jesus went and explained it, and now I know I don't know what it's saying. When we hear that the Holy Spirit will convict concerning righteousness, we might think it's because people didn't realize they needed to be righteous, or because they thought they were righteous but really weren't. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit does this work because I'm going to heaven. So our question is, what does convincing people of righteousness have to do with Jesus returning to heaven? Consider this. Instead of the Holy Spirit convicting the world regarding its righteousness and that it merits nothing, he convicts or convinces the world about true righteousness, that it's found only in Jesus. And Jesus' ascension to heaven convicts, it proves, it convinces people that he must be righteous. 
The ascension of Jesus is connected to the resurrection of Jesus. The risen Lord returning to glory speaks of two things regarding righteousness. First, it reveals the verdict of the Jewish leaders to be false. It reverses it. It was their verdict that Jesus was a sinner deserving of a death penalty. Their verdict brought condemnation upon Jesus. It declared that he was an unrighteous criminal. And so, that Jesus ascended back to heaven in a resurrected body reverses their verdict. It shows that Jesus is righteous and not condemned. And they and their unjust verdict are condemned instead. Second, the verdict of righteousness proves that Christ's saving work for us was accepted by the Father. Jesus' return to heaven speaks of his resurrection, and the resurrection is the Father's stamp of approval. That Jesus was truly without sin. He truly did live a life of perfect righteousness. His return to heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit proves His righteousness. And the world not only needs to see their sin and guilt, but also the righteousness required of them, which is only available in Jesus, the righteous one. God's holiness requires that all who enter into his presence are pure, without sin, and righteous. And that Jesus returned to the Father is evidence of his righteousness. We need to be convicted of this truth because we too must be righteous to be in the presence of a holy God. And being convinced that Jesus is righteous tells us that we too can be righteous if we believe in him, if we're in Christ. So the Spirit's second work of conviction has to do with the righteousness of Jesus. He convinces the world that because Jesus returned to the Father in a resurrected body, he must be righteous. Think again of Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He not only preached of sin, but of Jesus being raised and exalted, seated at the Father's right hand. Our justification involves more than just as if I'd never sinned. It it involves more than forgiveness. It involves a perfect obedience to God's law. It's not just the absence of sin that allows us into the presence of God, but also the possession of righteousness. And this is why Jesus didn't just beam down as a 33-year-old man and die on the cross for us. Not only must he be sinless, But he also needed to be righteous, which means he had to live a real human life in absolutely perfect obedience to God's law. He did what Adam failed to do. He did what all of us failed to do. He alone is righteous. Only Jesus. And so our salvation being justified means that we're declared to be forgiven for our sins and righteous or possessing the perfect obedience of Christ. And this is ours only by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
The Holy Spirit convicts or convinces the world of the problem of sin and righteousness. And the answer is believing in Jesus who bore our sins on the cross and who was declared righteous according to his return to glory. Lastly, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan is our adversary. He is our enemy. He is described as the ruler of this world. And in this description, let's remember God is sovereign. The devil is God's devil. He's not free to do whatever he wants. That Satan is described as the ruler of this world does not mean that he is any threat to God or some worthy opponent. Now remember that in the book of Job, God gives Satan permission. He gives him limits. Satan is a created being and God is God, the ultimate sovereign ruler and his purpose in giving Satan He has his purpose in giving Satan permission to do what God would have him to do. So speaking of the cross, Jesus said in John 12, Now is the judgment of this world. The cross. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment. And the explanation Jesus gives is because the ruler of the world is judged, because of the cross, because of the resurrection and Christ's ascension to glory, Satan is defeated already. He is cast out. And the world needs to see that since Satan, their ruler, is defeated and judged, then they too will face judgment. And there's a part of every human heart that desires justice. We, we hate injustice. Our world is not, not right. There is a lack of true justice, and this is our greatest pain and irritation in life. So judgment really is a good thing. It's a great hope that evil will not prevail. And it will not prevail because Jesus has already defeated it at the cross. And in God's patient mercy, through the work of the Holy Spirit, he convicts, he convinces the world of this truth. And the realization of judgment points us to the mercy available to us because of what Jesus accomplished. Paul said that when Jesus nailed our sins to the cross, putting away our condemnation, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Evil, yes, continues in our world. But ultimately speaking, Satan has been cast down. He operates as one who already is defeated. He he lies, and his lies have been exposed by the cross. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit works to convict people of this truth, that Satan has been judged. 
And there is a day when all evil in this world will be judged. Skip Ryan wrote, In the triumph of Christ, the false one, the liar, the accuser, who wants to hold up to us false standards of judgment, has been defeated. Do you evaluate yourself by your appearance, your wealth, your standard of living, your success, the opportunities that you have, the clubs to which you belong? The accuser lies and tells us to see ourselves in this way. Jesus comes to reveal him as a liar. So even though the Spirit's convicting work is for the world, there is an ongoing application for those of us who are no longer a part of the world, for those of us who believe. Because we still live in the world, and we're still tempted by sin, we need to be convicted of this truth. We need to be convinced that the reign of Satan really is over. Jesus said that Satan has been cast out. Paul said that when we were dead in sin, we were, we were under Satan's dominion, living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. But Christ has judged and defeated Satan and his power, and we are now reborn in Christ. So for us who believe, the conviction of the Holy Spirit asks, do you believe God's word? Do you believe this is true? Do you believe that you're no longer under Satan's dominion? No longer bound to sin? That you've been set free in Christ to lead a new life of righteousness? The Spirit convicts the world of this reality, and we need to be convinced as well because it impacts how we live. And how we live is a witness to the world. The Spirit works through us. His ministry to the world was through these first disciples, through their lives progressively being conformed to the holiness of Jesus, through their obedient love and proclamation of the gospel, their focus on what ultimately matters. And the same Holy Spirit ministers to the world today through us. So how we live, how we love one another, this reflects the truth of judgment, of Christ's victory. Satan is defeated. Jesus is victorious. And if the Spirit is to convict the world over sin, righteousness, and judgment, then we need to be convinced as well. And being convinced means we're not living under Satan's lie, but instead we're living as those who are free in Christ and used by the Spirit to convince the world, to convince the world about the greatest news of all. Let's pray. Jesus, you have told us that in this world we will have tribulation, but that we should take heart because you have overcome the world. Lord, help us to live with this truth in mind. Help us to not lose heart and lose sight of your purposes. Help us to not make the lesser things of life ultimate things. To not be overwhelmed with the 
various cares of life to the point of being ineffective. Father, thank you that you are a loving Father who invites us to cast all our cares upon you. And may we do so and trust you to do what is best. Give us confidence and assurance for the days ahead, knowing that you have us on this particular road and that your spirit is with us. Lord, give us confidence in the gospel and that when we share it, your spirit is at work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.